Hi, I'm Lindsay Pugh. And I'm Joe Nesterok. Welcome to the Woman in Revolt podcast. Today we're talking about Alice Diop's 2022 film, Saint-Omer, which made the Oscars shortlist. It was France's submission, but it was unfortunately not nominated. And as the Oscars are somehow this week, this Sunday, right? Yes. Yeah, I figured it'd be good to good for us to talk about this this film that we both feel very strongly about and I think is one of one of my favorite films of 2022. Absolutely. As usual, the Oscars missed out on a great opportunity to highlight this wonderful film. I absolutely love it. I rented it to watch it, but honestly, I do believe I'm going to go in and purchase it so I can revisit it from time to time. It's that good. That's how much I enjoyed it. And I'm just putting it out there up front. You know how I feel about it. Yeah. And Alice Diop is a documentary filmmaker primarily. That's the bulk of her career up to this point. And this is her first narrative fiction feature film. And it made me really curious. I have not seen any of her documentary work, but it made me want to go back and watch it just to get a better sense of, I mean, I think you can definitely tell with Saint-Omer that it's has a big documentary influence. But yeah, it made me curious to see what that side of her work is like. Absolutely. It was a wonderful film. For this to be her first feature film makes it even more incredible to me. As I had said to you earlier, for me, it was a definite home run. I loved this film. I think there are some things that it could have done better. We'll talk about those. But really an insanely impactful film that does so many different things. There are so many layers to it. I really think that it is the type of film that rewards rewatching, and that even would reward pairing with other things. Like as I started writing the notes for um, our episode, I was like, well, we could have paired this with Hiroshima Mon Amour, which is referenced and seen in snippets in the film. We could have paired it with like, you know, a reading of Euripides' Medea, which is also mentioned in the film. I think there are a lot of other texts that would enrich your understanding of what Diop and her collaborators are doing. So, yeah, I think it's the type of thing that you could watch many times and get more out of it each time. Yes, the will is deep on this one, that's for sure. And that's a great idea. The other films I have not seen, I would love to watch those, go back and rewatch this. I think it would just bring so much more forward for me. Yeah, definitely. It, it actually reminded me of, so obviously Medea is one of those plays that has been interpreted by many different playwrights over the years. And as I was watching this, it really made me want to go back. There's a playwright that I liked a lot in high school named Neil Labute. And he has a volume, I think it's three plays, and they're all influenced by Greek tragedy. It's called Bash. And there's one in there that is his interpretation of Medea. And then I also know the uh, the writer, Rachel Cusk, who I really like. I believe she also has written a play uh, based on Medea, a different interpretation. So yeah, I I think that that would be really cool to look at some different playwrights interpretations of Medea and then to compare it to this and to think about how Medea is influencing both Alice Diop and then in the film, the character Rama. When you said Greek tragedy, this film is like a Greek tragedy. It really is. I can definitely see the influence of that and just how multi-layered this entire film is. It would just Like It's something that you could just study on and off for years. And even as time goes on and how our society may change and fluctuate, I feel like this film will always be relevant. Yes, definitely. I think like Greek tragedies, there are so many different interpretations that you could have of this film based on your own experience, based on your own breadth of knowledge of the other uh, projects referenced based on so many things that I think it's it's something that, again, could just be reinterpreted and worked upon and um, used as inspiration for art for many years, many decades, many right. centuries into the future. I think it really will stand the test of time. I'm just curious, did this film remind you of any other films? Yeah, I put that on our Google Doc and now I'm like, uh, uh. <laughs> 
I don't know. I mean, it reminded me more, like I said, of the the things that it directly referenced. Like I was for sure thinking of Hiroshima Monomore, um, and the plays. It did remind me a bit. I was thinking of Celine Siama's portrait of a lady on fire. Um, and we should mention mm-hmm. that Claire Mathen, the cinematographer that works with Celine Siama, she is the cinematographer on this film. And I noticed it in the breaths. Do you remember like in Portrait of a Lady on Fire, mm-hmm. Celine Siama talking about how she yes. was really particular about how she wanted the women's breaths to be perfectly synchronized. Like she had this beautiful rhythm to them that she wanted. And I really noticed the breathing a lot in this film. Like it would quicken at certain times when Laurence was asked a question or at other times you would see Rama sitting in the audience and you would hear her breath or become cognizant of her breath. And then there was that one song. I actually, I forgot to look it up. I'm not sure what it is, but it's all like breathing. Do you know what I'm I'm talking about? It sounds like breaths. It's like a breath song. Yes, yes. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you mentioned that because breath was so important in this film. The way that it ended with her and her mom breathing together, how Rama and Lawrence in the film, their breath synchronized when they had a meeting, kind of a a long distance meeting of their eyes and you could just, the breath could build the tension. It always seemed to build tension for me in this film. When I heard the breath, I just felt like something important is coming, something pay attention. And it just kind of heightened your senses. It was done so beautifully. Yeah, it really was. And the song that played, I don't know if you had this Uh, if this comparison came to mind for you, but it reminded me of the opening of Tar a little bit. Do you remember that song? Mm, I know it's not the same composer or anything, but those two reminded me of each other. I was instantly like, is that the song from Tar? It's not, but it's of the same, to my ear, it's of the same type. Breath is so important. You're always told, you know, breathe deep. Your breath connects. And yoga, it's the way you breathe. And I feel like that is a subtle way of, I don't know, connecting you into something that or making you pay attention or having a common connection with someone to synchronize your breath, to just take a minute to reflect. It almost just calms you down so you can reflect on something. So, but however they used it in this film, I absolutely, whenever I would start hearing the breath, I was instantly on high alert. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. It often had the power of conveying when Laurence was emotionally triggered by a a question, because I think that character is so, it's not that she's stoic. It's like she's so mysterious. She doesn't really emote very much, but she actually emotes a lot with her eyes, but it's not like a clear emotive expression. Like you're still not really sure what she is conveying. She's still really hard to parse. But I felt like the breath sometimes gave you a little bit more interiority to her, like you got a better sense of maybe how she was feeling based on how she was breathing. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. She, <sighs> she just looking at her face, the way that she conveyed emotion, the way she didn't convey emotion, the way that she was standing in that witness box all alone, the, the colors that surrounded her. She absolutely mesmerized me. I could have just spent the whole film watching her. Yeah, she was incredible. I, I'm not sure how you say her name. It's like Guslagi Melanda. She's She's been in other things, but I think this is maybe like only her second feature film she's been in. She was in uh, My Friend Victoria, and that was from a couple years ago. Um, but that's the only other thing I know her from. It looks like she's also in the Romanoffs or was in one episode of the Romanoffs. I didn't watch that. But for being a relatively new actor, at least based on IMDb credits, I just think to me she was the star performer in this film. Yes. That's not to take away from Kaige Kagame at all, who plays Rama, because she was Good too, but I just did not feel, I didn't feel as connected to her. And I think that that's both a result of the structure of the film, but I think it's also 
the performance because she just to me wasn't as emotive and expressor as her counterpart. I just didn't feel like I got as much from her face. That's true. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I mean, both women were incredible. There was so much wonderful acting in this film, but I do believe that the actress that played Lawrence Coley in the film for me, she was definitely the star of the film and the one that I was just drawn to. Just absolutely mysterious, mesmerizing. If I'd been sitting in that courtroom, I could have not taken my eyes off of her. Yeah, same. And I think I read, did she, I think she, I think I read that being in this role was really tough for her, as you might imagine, but that she had almost uh-huh. what sounds like a little bit of PTSD after it, where she had trouble sleeping and kind of getting back into her normal life and rhythm. It sounds like it was one of those very challenging psychological roles that took a toll far after filmmaking had ended. And I understand why. I do too. She, we never saw her outside of this little, I don't know, two by three foot jury box. And everybody was so concentrated on her. She was really, it's almost like putting an animal in a cage. That's The way, you know, everybody was looking at her. Everybody was expecting something. Everybody wanted to know why she was being judged. She was being hated. She was being pitied. Everything all at once. And I can just imagine not just doing that day after day. And that is your only aesthetic that you're working in. Oh, my gosh. I can totally see where it would have affected her. Yeah, it would get very grueling fast. And I think. Ah, something you said made me think of something. (laughs) Hold on, let me see if I can get it. I've been known to say a lot, i.e. babble, so good luck remembering. (laughs) I know, no, I'm trying to think of what, oh, just that, yeah, you talking about her being in this little box and being on display and having every move scrutinized and analyzed, it just, to me, that would be, for thinking about the character, the character of Laurence, that would be insanely difficult for that character, considering that she just spent so much of her time before getting arrested isolated. She had this baby, was alone with this baby, was caring for this baby, never even left her apartment. Like she experienced extreme, extreme isolation. And now she is in a place where she can't hide anything. Like she can't hide, she can't isolate. She is exposed by virtue of being on trial and thinking about the psychology of that is like a little bit of a mind fuck because I think it would be just excruciating for someone in that position even though we'll get into the complex yeah. uh, empathy and judgment and all of the feelings that you feel about Laurence but I just that that is part of where my empathy comes from thinking about that situation absolutely that of what's happening to her during the trial, and also just what led up to it, like you said, we'll get into that. You you would think, just if you heard the premise of the film, you would instantly think, there's no way I could have any empathy for a woman that would murder her child. But I believe after watching this film, you would be surprised at how much your eyes could be open to finding as we as I like to say, the gray areas of life and that everything is not black and white, even murder. Sorry, but it's not. (laughs) No, and I I think, like we were talking about before we recorded, I'm not, I don't, when I I hear, oh, a woman killed her child, I don't automatically think she's a monster. I don't think of it in black and white terms. And I wonder, I mean, that might be a little bit more a generational thing, but just thinking about how awful society is to women, how unsupportive we are with mental health issues, how isolating, how awful. I'm not excusing it, but I do understand how there are so many contextual factors that are important when you think about something like that. So I feel like the older I get, the the, the harder I try to force myself out of any type of black and white thinking because it is never helpful. It is always damaging. There are so many shades and so many different relevant feelings and facts and 
it's just impossible to say, oh, that's that's bad, period. That's good, period. Right. And a lot of those black and white thoughts were were made up to keep women down. Let's let's just be honest about it. A lot of thinking, a lot of the societal rules of your main purpose, especially like you said, from, you know, an older generation like mine and even back was your whole purpose in life is to have children. You have to love them unconditionally. If you feel anything but absolute total love 24-7 for the rest of their lives, you are a broken, horrible person. You cannot share that with anybody. It would be shameful. You know, you better go around gushing. This is my gift from God, and I'm totally happy 24-7. That's what you, it's just spoon-fed to you. So I do like that there is an more of an awakening now with the younger generations of, yeah, we, children are great, but a lot of us don't want them, or a lot of us that have them have regrets, or a lot of us that have them have medical issues that spiral us into a depression, and, but we can't talk about any of that, but yeah, now we can talk about it. And I think this film, that is also a great opener of if she had felt, if she had had more resources and and been more open and had people that could help her, this death could have been prevented. So I think it falls on a lot of us of just the way that we have let society, we've just cornered women into an impossible corner, just like she's cornered in her little box up there. And we, we don't let them out or to be able to seek help or ask for help. Yeah, we make it so that it's like all of the responsibility is on you. You had the child. You are the mother. You have to do this. You are responsible. And it's just not fucking like that. Mm. It's all societal construct. And if we lived in a healthier society, if if around the world we had more reverence and respect and help available for mothers, it would be a different conversation. But absolutely, unfortunately, <laughs> there are not many social safety nets anywhere, not in France, not in the U.S. Like very, very few countries treat women like they are actual people who go beyond whatever titles we want to place onto them that are useful for manipulation and coercion, basically. Yes. And I find it very interesting. And then I'm not going to get on this, but I find it very interesting that politically in the United States right now, the way that a fascist party is trying to gain a foothold is by stepping on the necks of women once again. It's just so fucking typical. Yeah. Oh, but anyway, we won't go there. Yeah. Yeah. We're recording this on International Women's Day. So that feels yes. pretty appropriate. Oh, yeah. As, as lawmakers around the country are trying to eradicate women's access to abortion pills. Feels yeah. Like very Fuck all y'all. Yeah. Very relevant conversation to be having. Yeah. Let's get into a brief synopsis. Again, <laughs> I assume you know kind of what this film is about. And honestly, this is one of those films where. The synopsis is not going to tell you really what the film is about or what the experience is like of watching it. So I think you just have to trust us that this is very impactful, very nuanced, very outside of anything I could really say about it, I think. So with that being said, it's uh, Santomer is based on the real trial of Fabienne Cabou and the writer-director Alice Diop's experience attending that trial. And I think she said... At the time that she was attending the trial or at the time the case broke, Diop had a 15-month-old boy, mixed race, so she was aligned kind of right off the bat with, with Fabian, and I thought that was interesting. So I think very much the character of Rama, played by Kaya J. Kagame, is Diop's stand-in. She's attending the trial of, in the film, Laurence Colli, played by Guslagi Melanda. And that woman is accused of murdering her 15-month-old daughter, Elise. So it's an infanticide trial, and it's very, I think if you're used to watching things like The Good Wife or Kramer versus Kramer or any courtroom dramatizations, this is very much not one of those. What you get are these long extended courtroom scenes that are very seriously played 
you really feel like you are just sitting in the audience and watching this all take place in an actual court. And along with those scenes, you do get some snippets of Rama's life, both in the present day and in flashback. And you see a little bit of the town of Saint-Omer where this trial is taking place. And the film makes you see all of these parallels that exist between Rama and Laurence. They're both black women. They're currently living in France, which was uh, once a colonizer of their origin countries of Senegal. I think the, the thing was that Rama had been born in France, but her parents were Senegalese. And Laurence, I think, was born in Senegal and had immigrated to France with, I think, just herself, right? Is, am I remembering? Yes. Yeah. For school. Yeah. And so they both have had white male partners, difficult relationships with their mothers, and an intelligence that probably a lot of ignorant white people found surprising. So they're very, oh, they're very much linked in their stories. And the film is... Yes, about the trial, but it's also about how Rama understands Laurence and also how she becomes or how she comes to understand herself, both through the lens of the trial and also through this project that she is working on about Medea, which is the reason why she is attending these trial days. Although really, you obviously know that she is just drawn in by Laurence and she seems more focused on that than her project, which I think she has come to realize is not going to be this clean, easy thing like she conceptualized it. So those are the parameters. Just the synopsis is intriguing, but oh my goodness, please do do, do not let that, if you haven't seen the film, don't think that that gives you what this film is truly about. Without seeing it, you cannot really understand it. Yeah, because I think if somebody told me oh, you're going to watch these long courtroom scenes play out. To me, that does not sound the most stimulating, but it, Diop and Claire Math, and they do this really interesting thing with perspective. So you're really hyper-tuned in those courtroom scenes to the perspective of, like, who, whose point of view are we looking from and are we looking at? And you're, you're just constantly aware of eye lines who's looking at each other, whose point of view you're aligned with. There's so much just to be gleaned from the visuals of how those scenes are set up that make it way more interesting than it sounds if I were to just describe it like I like I did in that synopsis. Absolutely. Even the placement of where people are sitting in court, who they're sitting next to, I thought that that was very interesting at different times. I found it very interesting that the only two black people other than Laurence in the entire courtroom were Rama and Laurence's mother. Everybody else was white. You know, they were just in a sea of whiteness. I believe all the jurors were white. It was it was definitely a stark contrast of who was judging them and who they considered their peers. And I, in my mind, I was thinking, I wonder what these two women are thinking about all of this, you know, how they feel in a country where one was born, but she clearly, you could just tell, uh, I'm talking about Rama, it seemed like that she still felt like an outsider. Yeah, and Rama, you can tell Rama feels like an outsider, not just in the country, maybe, or the courtroom, but in her own family. She feels disconnected from them. And you see that from the very beginning when she goes to her mom's house. Her dad is dead. And she's at her mom's with her white husband, Adrian. And they're there, I think, just to have dinner. Like, I don't think it's for a special occasion, is it? I don't think so. Yeah, I think they're just there to have dinner. Yeah, they're just there to have dinner. And you find out later that Rama is pregnant. And there's this conversation that happens when they're eating the meal with her family where I think they're somebody like her mom asks where are you guys going on vacation this year and Adrian says oh we're not going to go on vacation we have a lot of house projects and the mom asks like oh what kind of house projects and Rama says oh like nothing important and she and Adrian share a look and you realize later that it's because 
she's pregnant and they're about to have a baby and they're probably doing things to get ready for the baby, but that she feels uncomfortable sharing that with her mom. You can just tell that she doesn't want to. She doesn't want to elaborate. And I thought that that was really a great way of not only like telling you about what her relationship with her mom is like, but telling you about how she might feel like that outsider perspective that she probably always felt having grown up with those people that she doesn't feel deeply connected to. Yeah, I think even though there wasn't a lot of in-depth dialogue and we just saw flashbacks of Rama's relationship with her mother, for me, it highlighted so much of just how disconnected her mother was. I remember her mother just standing up and kind of wandering off from the dinner table. I felt like maybe her mother was facing some type of health problems or depression or I don't I don't know. It just seemed like even in modern times, the disconnect that we see in the flashback scenes of when Rama was a child with her mom, her mom still had that, that element of being disconnect, kind of disconnected from the family. Yeah. And we were talking earlier about how we I think there's an impulse to judge Rama's mother for being so disconnected for being so cold for obviously not raising Rama in an environment in which she felt emotionally connected to her mother but we're talking about how it's just so hard to only feel judgmental toward her if you start to think about what her own experience may have been like her own motherhood experience. We don't know really any details about her previous life in Senegal. We don't know if she wanted to have a child, if she wanted to be a mother, if this was just a thing that happened to her, if she had help from Rama's dad, who is dead in the present day action of the film. We just don't know any of that. And I think that was a really good choice on Diop's part to not include too much, but to have enough to like garner some empathy for a patient or a careful viewer. Exactly. Just for me, she allowed just enough information to resonate with someone viewing her film so that they could also have their own perspective and find their own way through the meaning of the film instead of just shoving it down our throats or spoon feeding us every little detail for me it was kind of a very sometimes a little bit winding journey for me to figure out exactly what was being said or what was happening but I love the way that even from my perspective I was able to garner what was going on in the relationship in the film. And I'm sure that the way that I garnered it or perceived it would be different for each individual person because she did give us that leeway of here's just enough information, but you're going to find your way into the meaning of this film. Yeah. And I would be so interested to hear a Black immigrant's read of this film, especially somebody who is Senegalese, who either has parents who grew up in Senegal and then immigrated to France. Like, I just think that is a very specific experience. And I would love to hear somebody with the same background as Laurence or Rama talk about that, because I'm sure that there are so many things that Diop, who has the same experience as Rama, that she has put in there that we are probably just not even cognizant of. Like, I mean, obviously, I know some about Senegal's Um, colonial occupation by France and a little bit. But I think that if you're somebody who actually experienced those things, there are probably so many other things that like I as a viewer, I'm just not getting because I don't have that background. I did go through some reviews. I was trying to find something like that and I didn't. I'm not saying that it's not out there, but I would love to hear that perspective. And once again, I think it goes back to this is one of those films where you could discuss, talk, bring it back and uncover so many more layers. I think that's just what makes this film so brilliant. There's just so many layers to discover here. Yeah, and I think that not every one of the layers that I was picking up on worked for me. 
And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about mm-hmm. how how do you feel about the film's structure with Rama as sort of like this broken mirror image of Laurence? Did that work for you the entire time? Or were there instances where you felt like it worked really well or really poorly? How did, how did you feel about that structure? I mean, for me personally, it worked. I have to say, you know, right at the very beginning, I didn't quite understand what their connection was going to be. It, it just kind of revealed itself as it went along. I feel like that Rama was at a point in her life, especially facing this pregnancy, where she may have suddenly been called upon to think seriously about the damage that may have been done to her through the relationship with her mom, because she was about to bring a life into the world. I have a feeling that's what drew her to this case from another woman that had murdered her child. It probably, you know, piqued her interest of, oh, there's some parallels here. I'm I'm interested in this. I want I want to perceive it. So for me, kind of mirroring their life was a very effective way of not only trying to understand Laurence, who was on trial, but I feel like personally it gave me a deeper appreciation along the journey of what Rama was going through and her fears. Um, now, now, what about you? Did you have some problems with that or did you feel it was effective? It just didn't always work for me. I think sometimes those courtroom scenes are so powerful that when you're taken out of them and put in either one of Rama's flashbacks or Rama in her hotel room or Rama walking on a street, I just found myself not as interested in those things. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not really a problem that I'm like, oh, I have a clear solution for this. I, I can understand in theory, like in theory, the structure of this film makes so much sense to me. If, you know, Alice Diop was sitting here explaining it, I'd be like, yeah, 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 that's totally makes sense. I like the idea of these women paralleling each other and you using them to get different perspectives on the situation and on themselves. But I don't know. I think... If I had to think of like what what really didn't work for me, I think the flat I had some issues with the flashbacks. I don't know. They just didn't feel they just didn't feel as seamlessly integrated as the other action of the film somehow. But again, like I say, I understand why they're in there and they obviously serve a great purpose. I don't think that they could be remitted, but I think it's more uh, it's more about the way they look and the way that they're edited into the film. But I, I think I would have to think about it more and maybe even try to write about it to puzzle through yeah. why that is. I wonder if the courtroom scene was just so brilliant and the acting of the act of the actor that played Laurence was just so incredibly powerful that nothing else would really stand a chance <laughs> next to that. Maybe that's part of it. It was just so powerfully intense that like you said I can see that when you when you were out of that situation it was almost like you had a chance to relax and it just didn't have the same the other things were like oh yeah but maybe it just didn't have the same impact as those scenes did yeah I mean I do think that that's part of it and again like I don't want it to sound like we're shitting on uh, Kayage Kagame because she was really good but oh my gosh yes she just was not as compelling to watch and I think in part it's performance, in part it's obviously that the courtroom scenes are the ones that I feel there is most care given. Like those scenes to me seem so carefully orchestrated, mm-hmm. so perfectly orchestrated <laughs> that then to yeah. go to something else, it's just not as, it's just not at the same level. And so I think it's a combination. I don't think it's fair to blame just her or just the structure. I think it's probably those two things combined that to me make it a little. And again, it wasn't like I every time I was like, oh, this again. I didn't ever feel that way. But I, just mm-hmm. if I'm thinking about it critically, I just I do feel like those parts are less compelling in general. Yeah. What did you, you know, speaking of these parts that were outside of the film, I found it very interesting when Rama was instantly sought out by Laurence's mom 
I think her name was it Odile. I'm not. Yeah. Um, She was, you know, instantly sought out by her. They went, ended up going to lunch. How did that affect you? Did you felt like you got any, maybe a little bit more insight to the relationship between Laurence and her mother from those scenes? Did that kind of help? Yeah. I mean, I loved that scene where Rama and Odile have lunch together. The moment where they order, and I think Odile gets carpaccio or something, and Rama orders steak and fries, and Odile looks at her and she's like, says something about like, oh, that's a really heavy, you should order a lighter meal. And then Rama adds a half pint of beer onto it, as in like a fuck you, mind your own business, random lady. Yeah. I loved, I felt like that told you so much about what kind of parent Odile was. Combined with the fact that she was talking to uh, Rama kind of about how proud she was that the papers were referring to Laurence as this articulate, well-spoken, beautiful woman and how that made her so proud. Those two things, I feel, really gave you uh, what felt to me like a full picture and just a few details of what kind of mom she was. Exactly. And remember, she was buying all of the look like rag newspapers. She was picking them all up like, you know, she was going to go back home and make a scrapbook of this horrific event. Yeah. You know, and her pride and joy was is that everyone, which this was uh, just horrific. Whenever I hear someone say he or she is so articulate, my my radar instantly goes up like racist comment because. That's what everyone was saying is, wow, her her French is impeccable. She she sounds like she's well-educated. Like everyone was incredulous, you know, that was a big topic, like how well-spoken she was. And if she had been white, they wouldn't have said that, I do not believe. So, and but that her mother took pride in that. That was the one thing that she had beat into her daughter. She could not see the damage she did. She thought everything that was happening was wonderful and it all reflected well on her. Yeah, and I thought that her her perspective to me, and again, like I'm not an immigrant. I have friends who are immigrants and I've heard perspectives from them about how hard it is to be like a first generation immigrant where you are a lot of pressure is often placed upon you by your parents to assimilate to the culture and how that does so much damage to you. But your your parents are really seeing it as, no, we have to, it's our job to set you up for success, to set you up to be seen and accepted by these people who are not your people, but are the people of this country that you now reside in. And just how that can like totally mind fuck you and make you feel not assimilated because you are different and those people see you as different so you can't fit in with them but then you also are not able to connect with the people who have the same experience as you and who speak the same language as you like Laurence not being able to speak Wolof in school and to connect with her peers so you totally understand how that would really isolate you and put you in a situation where you do feel like you have no one to turn to and no one to connect with and you're just an island floating out there by yourself and only having yourself to rely on. Like I just, I, I felt that experience so strongly how, how isolating it would be and how hard it would be to come out of it. Laurence had no one, like you said, she didn't identify with her friends when she was still living in Senegal. She did not identify with the people in France simply because she was always treated differently. There was one, I mean, this just really made me so mad when the one professor was saying when Laurence had done her thesis or something about an Australian, uh, Austrian, yeah, an Austrian uh, philosopher or something. And she was like, I wondered why did she pick someone from a culture different than hers? How could she even understand that? And <laughs> I was just like, oh, my God. And I thought it very interesting that this same woman that had testified when she went and sat down, she sat down right next to Rama and Rama gave her the death look when she sat next to her. And this lady was totally oblivious to anything through her 
through her racism and her white privilege, she did not understand how she had just said something horrific on the stand. Um, I thought that that was brilliantly shown. Yeah, and the, the philosopher was Wittgenstein, and it's crazy that the philosophy professor would think, oh, how could you be focusing on this philosopher outside of your country? Like, he is one of the, considered to be one of the great philosophers of the 20th century, and anyone who is studying philosophy would study him. It's just the, the, the blinders that you have to have on to, to see life that way and to understand Laurence in that way have to be just fucking insane. Yeah. It's a brilliant little, little focus onto what she faced each and every day, you know, the, the injustices and probably the anger she felt deep inside about that. Yeah, and then also another scene where that solidifies a bit is when the investigator, I think the person who maybe first spoke to Laurence after she killed her daughter and, and was being questioned, there's a scene, and I, again, I can't, I can't remember it well enough. I just remember that it's, maybe there's, is there something like distracting happening? It's not a scene where you're just focused on him. There's maybe, maybe there's part of him in the frame and like part of the audience or something. It's, it's like kind of distracting mm -hmm. for some reason. I think if you're watching it, you may not pick up on it. I don't feel like I did the first time, but it's the investigator talking about how, he like asked Laurence to put her motivation for killing her daughter into cultural context. And the judge who's questioning him says, like, didn't you think that maybe you opened her up to this cause of, of witchcraft or sorcery? Because part of what Laurence talks about as her motivation is that it wasn't her who killed her, her child. Like she was cursed by her family in Senegal. And it was something else. It was something like spiritual, something otherworldly that was causing her to do these things. And in this scene, you kind of see how maybe that is coming from Laurence. Maybe she really does feel that way. But maybe this outside person who tried to force her to see things in a certain way and who encouraged her toward this interpretation is also partially responsible for it. Like it just makes you see how. It's not, again, it's just not so black and white. There's all this context for these seemingly maybe innocuous statements that you wouldn't get unless you kept digging and digging. And the film allows them to come out, but doesn't give you any definitive interpretation on anything. It just, it brings them up and then lets them sit. And I like that because it allows you... You're hearing something. I'm he I feel like I'm hearing something as a white person can hear now that if I was just out previously in society, it may just blow right past me because of my privilege of not having to deal with that. But when it's presented in this way where you're almost a captive audience, but yet no one is going, did you hear that's blah, 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 blah. You just, it's like you discover it on your own and you're like, my God, this goes on all the time. Just all these little horrible references that we think are okay. And we think that it's all right to say crap like this. And it's not. And we have to be aware of this. And yet there he is in a court of law doing it. And it's, it's just absolutely horrific that no one calls him out on it. Everyone just goes along with it. But but he is called out on it because it's brought out in such a way that we you can recognize it. Yeah, within the world of the film, it's not acknowledged, but it's acknowledged through the film that Diop has created. Yes. Yeah, it's just it's really really a powerful scene. I would say if you're watching if you're watching this film if you're going into it for the first time, Keep an eye out for that scene. I believe it happens toward the end-ish of the film, like definitely in the final third. Speaking of that, I mean, which there were so many wonderful actors during these courtroom scenes, especially. And I'm just wondering, like, out of other than our main two characters and the ones that we've talked about, like what other people that were in the courtroom scenes really like stuck out? for you as far as their performances or, or what they had to say? 
Yeah, I thought that Laurence's lawyer, played by Aurelia Petit, and she, I knew her from something else. She was definitely in something else, a, a couple things. Um, she was in Personal Shopper. She was in The Science of Sleep. You've probably seen her in some films, but she, I thought, was really great because sometimes you felt like she really understood Laurence, and then other times you felt like she didn't at all. Yeah. And I thought that it, it was interesting watching her because the whole time I was thinking to myself, and again, I'm not like, I don't know a ton about France's legal system, so take this with a grain of salt. But the whole time I was watching her, I was trying to figure out, is she mounting a good defense for Laurence? Like, is she doing a good job? Or is she aligned with her? Or how does she feel about this? Like, I was trying to suss out her entire position because I feel like it shifted at different points throughout the film, like from her, fur, from her, I guess, opening argument. I don't know if they would call it that, but from that moment to her closing argument, mm -hmm. there was a big shift. If you compare those two scenes in how, how I interpreted her feelings or intentions or her defense for Laurence. I agree. I felt like her closing argument for me was very powerful. I liked how during her closing argument, there's no way I can even tell you what she said and how she said it because it's just something that you just have to watch the entire film and then get to that to for me to see the full impact of it and how she focused in on different women in the courtroom as it was being said. And then after she got done with her closing argument, it's really the only time that I remember that we saw the character of Laurence break down and just really cry. And she was crying into her uh, defense lawyer's chest. She was kind of holding her and comforting her. I felt like that that was a very powerful scene for me to kind of sum up what had happened kind of in a beautiful way. I also loved that we did not hear the verdict. I felt like that was important because I feel like there were so many other things that were so much more important than that. I think we all knew what the verdict was going to be. At that point, she had admitted to killing her daughter, so I don't know if it would be a life in a prison or being a life in a mental facility or how they were or what they were trying to do there because unlike you, I don't know the legal system there, but I just felt like the I felt like that performance really stuck out for me and also the 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 main woman judge that had a lot of dialogue I felt very strongly with her because I felt like she was really trying to be fair and sympathetic in a way while sticking to the law and trying to bring out the facts of the case. She really made it feel like I was legitimately seeing a true courtroom scene. I felt like her performance was very strong. Yeah, she was really good. I think the the Laurence's lawyer's speech at the end was the one where she was talking about women as chimeras mm -hmm. and how the cells from the baby stay in the mother and vice versa and how it's this thing that you always feel even if your child doesn't come to term and just it being this experience that changes you forever. And that's what caused Laurence to cry. And I think, I, I think it, it was brilliant because... You both, through the film, understand why she would have killed her child. I feel like I do. I understand. I mean, we don't know the definitive reason, but I understand the circumstances that would lead a person to do something like that, I think. Me too. But I also understand how, at the same time, she still loves her child. She still loves her child, and she still feels connected to her child, and she's not this horrible, emotionless shrew of a woman she still loved her kid and wanted the best for her and wanted to do what she could and 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 failed her in a lot of ways like other parents do in lesser circumstances but i thought that all of that came through so beautifully in the end it was maybe a little maybe a little on the nose in in certain 
parts, but I felt like it worked. Mm -hmm. It worked. You felt different layers opening up in that last scene. Yeah, it was very impactful on me. It made me very emotional. And I think it helped peel back some of the layers to see what we were dealing with with Laurence. And I also just have to to mention this, Lindsay, and I know we, we kind of talked about this, that we thought this was pretty much close to perfection, is at the end of the trial, there's a gorgeous ending, close to the ending, where we see Rama walking through the streets of France, and they're playing that beautiful song being sung by Nina Simone, Little Girl Blue. I just want to get your thoughts about that and how that tied into the film because, oh my God, right? Yeah, I mean, that was a deviation for sure for this film because really there's not a lot of music in it with words. Is this the only song in it with words? I think so. Yeah, it just seemed like the rest of it was chanting in breath. Yeah. So when you finally hear the song, and I mean, then obviously it's Nina Simone who has this very recognizable, beautiful voice singing about being a sad little girl and having raindrops fall on you and how you might as well surrender because there's no hope. I mean, fuck, like you really feel that. You watched this whole movie that is about those things she's singing about. And it's, yeah, just a deeply impactful scene. And then I think also just knowing a bit about Nina Simone's own mental health struggles, it it got me to thinking about that a bit and how society treated her and how she was kind of like exiled at the end of her life. And I just thought that that was brilliant. That choice of of song was was brilliant and that really I will remember that scene for a long time oh my god I think it's probably one of my most favorite scenes outside of the courtroom and it just it starts out you're after this closing this beautiful closing argument which is very emotional for me and you go in you see Laurence crying and then the camera like pans into a close-up of Rama's face And then all of a sudden it just flashes to this courtroom that was filled and and so tension filled. It's just now like an empty courtroom. And it's a beautiful courtroom, like all this wood, like something you would see out of a movie, actually. And then they flash to the little box where Laurence had been, and it's just empty. And that just struck me like a dagger in my heart. Like, oh, you know, she wasn't there anymore. She's gone. And then they start this song and it pans out and there's this beautiful, this song with the beautiful voice of Nina Simone is singing and you see um, Laurence's mom just walking up this empty street, like this pan of this beautiful French cobblestone street and her mom is all alone and you can tell it's starting to get dark and her mom's just walking up and the song is playing and I just thought I was going to die. So it was just like so impactful for me that that whole entire scene. So yes, see this movie. (laughs) It's worth it. Yeah, and I thought I wasn't, I don't know how I felt about the final scene of Rama now visibly pregnant holding hands and napping on the couch with her mom. It's nice in some regard, but it's also, there's there's an uneasiness to it too. Like there's a place where uh, Rama looks toward the camera, but not directly at it. And then you hear those slow breathing sounds and it's a black screen. And again, it's it's left open to interpretation. The film isn't shoving anything down your throat. But it's coming back to this idea of connection between mother and daughter, whether you want it or not, whether you feel it or not. Right. But um, I don't know. It, it was I had some conflicting things about that, too. In a way, it almost seems like a closure for Rama. And she had finally decided she had somehow 
I wouldn't say exercise the ghost of the relationship with her mother, but I think she had decided she would she would be able to go forward with a better relationship, hopefully with her child, and that enabled her in some way a forgiveness to attempt to have a relationship with her mother. But at the same time, it seemed a little pat, and I, I don't think that anyone should be forced to feel like they have to make amends and have to have a relationship that does not serve them. So I don't know. I feel like that could be a mixed message of, okay, when you finally do some therapy or whatever brings you uh, clarity on your situation, that doesn't mean you instantly have to run back to the person that you never had a relationship or that brought you so much stress and you have to make amends with them and everything has to end on a positive note. I think maybe it would have been a little more effective for me if that hadn't happened, even though it was a very nice scene, the way that they kind of had their breath synchronizing and it ended with a breath. But yeah, I just felt like I didn't need it. Right. I just, yeah, I agree with you. I just think it shouldn't have been in there because, yeah, we we get it. All, they're all connected, all these generations of women. But I think that there's—it there's a it doesn't necessarily have to be read in that pat way. I think there are other ways to right. read it. Right, right. Like, there's more ambiguity. But I think that even with that ambiguity, the— impulse of most people is going to be to read that scene as some kind of like like reclamation or like coming together of mother and daughter and even if things aren't perfect they're together and they're breathing together and there's this new child that's going to be born and just something about that strikes me as yeah a little bit just too easy Mm -hmm. for such a complex film like that last scene does not have near the complexity that any of those courtroom scenes has. No, it does not. It's it's probably the most uncomplicated thing to to unpack at that point. I was actually a little a little put back by it because when you first see them on the couch, you don't realize that Rama is holding her mom's hand. Right. And when I saw that, I the first thing I thought is, I don't know if this feels genuine to me. Like, could she be there? I guess she could. Everyone has a different way of approaching how they can find peace in their life. Some people need to make amends. or And like you said, just because she's doing that doesn't necessarily mean she's making amends. It could just be acknowledging a connection or a way of reinforcing herself that I'm going to be a better mom and have a better relationship with my child or, but yeah, I, I could have, I could have done without it, but it, to me, it didn't diminish the movie in, in any way. It just was something that I was like, I could have just ended with, uh, Nina Simone. That would have been great. (laughs) Yeah, I, I agree. I could have ended with maybe even I could have ended maybe even with, and I think Nina Simone was still playing when this happened. You saw childhood footage of Rama and her mom in a home video at Christmas. And you just saw child Rama Mm -hmm. looking at the camera as her mom was dishing up plates. That to me would have great. And on that note, because then it's like Rama seeing her mom and Rama seeing herself. And there's more ambiguity in that. And it's not as like, oh, this is a nice thing necessarily for them. Like the the feelings are more complex and the expressions are more complex. And so I think there's just inherently more there. I think to go from that, especially to that scene of them holding hands and napping is a little like those two things linked, I guess, probably support the interpretation of like some kind of resolution or some kind of coming together. And yeah, I think I think that's prob- a little problematic for me. But again, not not ruining the movie. I just if I if I were in the room and had to give critique, I would say get rid of this scene. Yeah, I know, or at least I would say don't have them holding hands. Maybe just sitting on opposite ends of the couch, and maybe their breath syncs up, or maybe it doesn't. But just to say, hey, yeah. there can still be a disconnect. You can still come to terms with what's going to make you happy in life and and not be able to resolve the re- the relationship that you have with your mother. 
because there's just some times where things can't be resolved, but you have to be able to pack that up in some way and be able to continue on with life. That was kind of my thinking of that. But with that said, it did not ruin the film for me whatsoever. No, no, no. Even the choices where I'm like, ah, was this the best choice? None of them ruined the film for me at all. Like, I'm just being I'm just being picky. I'm being critical because, you know, it's a podcast. That's what we're doing. But the film really did work as a whole for me. I came out of it thinking, fuck. Like, this is what every Oscar-nominated movie wishes it right. do. And we so rarely right. get one that actually executes on these big themes. Like, the themes of this movie are 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 big. Like, this is a movie of big ideas, big feelings, um, complicated feelings. None of it is simple. And I think that is what all of these Oscar Beatty movies try to do. But the reason why they come off as Oscar Beatty is because we can see the strings. We can see the manipulation. We can understand what they're trying to do. And with this one, it just avoids that impulse to, for the most part, be too neat in how it makes them all come together. Like this is just a movie that lives in ambiguity in a way that again, like we've already said, just opens it up to so many interpretations and makes it one of those classic stand-the-test-of-time type movies that deserves to be lauded with awards. Yeah, it's too layered for the Oscars. Like, we, we've got to get Elvis up there to be <laughs> nominated for Best Picture. You know, it's like, oh my right. goodness, it's almost an honor not to be Oscar-nominated because it just says this film is far and beyond anything, any of the spoon-fed shit. And I'm not saying there's not been wonderful Oscar-nominated na- and winning films, but, whoa, it's, for me, it's, it's, it's almost an honor that it, it was not nominated. But I wish it had been because I think it would have brought more spotlight on the film and maybe it would have gotten a a little bit wider release if it had won something I don't know it's just kind of like a terrible trap you get caught in and that it wasn't is truly a travesty in my in my opinion and you know Lindsay I think it goes to something you had had mentioned um when we were when you were going through some discussion notes of is there any way that this film could have been made by anyone other than a woman as complex and layered as it is. Yeah, absolutely not. I just think it's so entrenched in the female experience or or like the experience somebody who has the ability to birth a child would have. I think if you have the biology where you can get pregnant and you can have a child, your understanding of this is going to be so much deeper so much wider, so much more connected than somebody who could never get pregnant and have a, have a child. I do really just feel like that that opens up a wealth of interpretation. And I think that not I, like maybe there are men that can understand about how grueling and horrible and terrifying it is to either choose to become a mother or to not choose to become a mother or to become a mother based on no choice of your own. I just think that those are experiences that you really cannot make someone have if they don't have. Like, just probably like the immigrant experience. Like, if you're not having it yourself, there's no way to really... You can only empathize so far with someone in that position, I think. And I don't think that these insights that Diop has, these connections that the characters feel for each other, I don't think a man would be able to do any of that even half of that even a tiny little shred of that right absolutely that that's the way I feel like I know that I can't connect on every level with her but I do feel like I can connect as a woman (laughs) you know which brings me a little bit closer so I agree with that absolutely I just feel like this is such a I want to say a quiet film but it's it's a thunderous quiet. It, there there's so many things that are under the surface that just that just not you. And I just have to read this one little clip. I read a great review of this on RogerEbert.com. A lady Sheila O'Malley wrote this, and I thought 
for me, this really kind of touched on how I felt about the film. She wrote, Alice Diop understands how silence, when allowed to exist, vibrates with echoes, and it is these echoes that are trying to speak to us. They have a lot to say. Saint Omar shows us how to listen. So Omir shows us how to listen. So I felt like that that kind of summed it up for me. It was just a, a beautifully layered, almost quiet film in a way that had so much to say. And I just hope that it can be seen by a broad audience and appreciated. Yeah, I hope so too. So if you haven't seen this film, you can rent it, I think, for like $6 on all of the standard places. I don't know if it will be available for streaming somewhere, but if it is, we'll find a way to update you. So yeah, check this out. Definitely go see it. And maybe next time, I don't know what we will do, but another movie that I know got a lot of Oscar snubs is Till. And I believe that one might be streaming somewhere. So maybe we'll look into that and see if that's another one we could do. But that's it. We should just do a whole series on Oscar snubs because, you know, there'll be great films. Yeah. I don't think I've it's been so rare for me to be excited about an Oscar nominated movie. At least the past couple of years, I've just not been at all whatsoever interested. So, yeah. Yes good to give some of these movies that in a perfect world would be winning all the awards some attention all right well thanks everyone for listening we will see you on the next one